God is good. We're going to continue in our series this morning in Philippians, Be Encouraged. And today's message is titled, Rejoice in the Lord Always. We're going to find ourselves in the last chapter of this letter, which is chapter 4. And we're going to be reading the first seven verses. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 1, I'm reading out of the CSB, and it reads this way. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodi and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that word. Thank you, Lord, for those promises. Thank you, Lord, for your scripture, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your church, a community of believers that can come and worship, lifting up holy hands, sitting under your word, which is another act of worship, giving for your church, Lord, that the gospel would be spread. But at this time, Lord, we come and we ask, Father, that you would open up our ears Prepare our heart to receive our daily bread, our nourishment that is so desperately needed. We present ourselves to you this morning and say, have your way in each one of us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So as we see um, this chapter uh, began, uh, Paul has these terms of endearment that he leads in, in, in speaking to the people. And, and he speaks about what a joy it is for him and the reward that he is going to receive because he has been called to shepherd these people. It is a great joy to be about God's business. Um, it is a great joy uh, for me personally to be able to pastor. Uh, at the same time, it comes with a lot of things all the time. It's not easy. It is a very difficult task. But in the end, to see people grow, to see the lost saved, to watch people's family develop, to see people develop in their ministry. It is a great joy. And it is also the crown that we receive by seeing others built up in the faith. 
to even be able to present someone like Brittany that I've known from she was a child. That, that her mother came to youth group and, and, and sat there and listened to a message and was able to entrust her daughter to ministers in such a wicked world and all the things that go on. It is a great joy to be a part of the body. When we go out to work and go out to school, we deal with all kinds of people, but when we come into the house of the Lord, that, that's different. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. When, when we go out and, and do all the different tasks uh, that we are called to do, it is very different than doing things that have eternal value. So Paul here is speaking about his joy in the crown that he is receiving uh, with these, these brothers and sisters, and he calls them dearly loved, longed for, brothers and sisters, dear friends. What a beautiful uh, set of words that he's using and that we use for one another. And he says here, right from the start, stand firm. Stand firm because they are uh, going through difficulties in life just like we are. That is a part of life. In this life, you will have struggles. You will have trials. You will have problems. But Jesus told us, don't worry about that. I've overcome the world. So here, standing firm, staying true, being faithful. Keep on being faithful. And then right away he speaks uh, of these two women. Imagine uh, Paul is uh, having this letter read to a church, and he goes through chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, and then it gets real personal where he just calls out people in the church by name and says, um, pretty much, by the way, uh, you two women, I, I, I urge you, I beseech you, this is emphatic, this is uh, probably because they were both at fault. Hey, come together. Correct this issue that's going on, this conflict that is between the two of you, and even called others in the church to come alongside to try to uh, take care of this dispute. Well, one of the things that we know about a church, uh, the same thing that you know about your family, or uh, the same thing you know about your job or in school, that there be conflicts. There will be times when uh, things happen, where you don't get along, where you don't see eye to eye. And these were important women in the church. Matter of fact, it is thought that it may be uh, some of the women that started this church because in Acts you find when Paul went to Philippi and met these uh, women at uh, the, the, the river and how uh, the church was formed from there. Uh, he addressed it because it was important. He addressed it because when we have disputes that go unresolved, it doesn't only affect those two people. It affects the whole body. Uh, when, when, when there's static in your home between your children or between you and one of your children or husband and wife, it's, it's not just between the two of you. Everyone is 
affected by that. And, and Paul thought it important enough to say, hey, this needs to be addressed. Listen, we will always have things like that come up in the church. But if we're family, if we're brothers and sisters, it is extremely important for us to work through those things. Too often or when someone is corrected or someone's feeling is hurt, they leave. They, I'm, I'm out of here. As if they're going to go someplace else and that same thing is not going to happen. You, you know, I've, I've had a, a lot of relationships in my life. Uh, one of the uh, things about the type of work I used to do was every couple of months, I would move to a different set of people. And sometimes you get along with people right away, and often you didn't. Some of the people that it started out rough right from the beginning ended up being the best relationships that I had. Uh, often when you are in a relationship with someone and conflict comes uh, and you work through it, the relation gets, relationship gets stronger. Matter of fact, conflict is a natural thing. Conflict is something that happens when everyone's truthful because we're never going to always agree on everything. It's not to be avoided. It's not to be swept under the rug. And it's certainly not to just leave and say, I'm out of here. Not if we're family. So that's what's going on here, and it was to the degree that it needed to be addressed. And right after that, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It almost seems disconnected, but what Paul is saying uh, to those women, to those he's calling to, hey, try to handle this situation and alleviate it, and to the body at large is, no matter what's going on, rejoice. See, because rejoicing in the Lord is not about your circumstances. Rejoicing... In the Lord always, not sometimes, not when things are good, always, it says. Well, the question comes up, how is that possible? Especially in the situation in the church in Philippi at that time. So we just read in the text that these two women were in disagreement. Earlier in the letter in chapter 1, we, let, we read that there was conflicts outside of the church and, and pushing in on the church where uh, Paul said to them, don't be uh, frightened by your opponents. And we already know that Paul is writing this letter from prison, not knowing what the outcome of his own destiny was going to be. So there's some internal struggle in the church. There's people from the outside that are agitating the church, and the leader of the church or the one who uh, planted the church is in jail. And Paul is saying, in all of that, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. I don't, I don't know what you're going through, but this set of circumstances, if there can be rejoicing in that, then whatever we're going through 
we can rejoice as well. When we think about that, what are the components that we need to know and really have deep in our heart to be able to truly live that out? Well, when we know that God is sovereign over all things, we can rejoice. And in other words, when we really believe God is in control everything. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He is aware. He is detailed. He knows your thoughts before they enter your mind. He knows the amount of hair you have on your head. He knows everything, and he cares for his children and for the world. We can rejoice. When we are aware of his providential care, we can rejoice in every situation because, again, It is not your situation that should lead you to the rejoicing. Matter of fact, in our struggles, we are called to rejoice. It tells us that in James chapter 1. It says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces something. It produces endurance. And let the endurance have its full effect. In in other words, go through whatever it is you have to go through. Let the endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Are you at a place in your spiritual life where you are fully mature? No, you're not. No, I'm not either. Are you fully complete? Are you lacking anything? Well, guess what? There's going to be some more trials and other things that we're going to face in life that's going to continue to give us endurance, which is going to do a work in us. And that work in us is going to mature us. That work in us is going to complete us. That work in us is going to bring us to the point where we are lacking nothing. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. When when he says this and says it again, what he's saying is, in every situation, I'm going to keep on saying rejoice. One of the reasons that we can rejoice, and the main reason we can rejoice, he just pointed out. Because all of those people mentioned, names are written in the book of life. That in itself, because this is true, we can rejoice. If other things are so overshadowing over the fact that you can rejoice because your name is written in the book of life, then something is wrong. If the best of things should not overshadow rejoicing, neither should the worst. Jesus, when he sent out the 72 and said, hey, go out 
and preach the gospel. Go out and do these things. Or they came back with great joy, saying, even the demons submitted to us in your name. You know what he said to them? That's not what you want to rejoice about. So even when things are going well, even when you're doing God's work, even when you see the effect of it, that's not the reason that you should rejoice. Because you know what happens? On another day, things aren't going so well. On another day, it seems like everything you're saying is falling on deaf ears or you're taking one step forward and two steps back. That is not what your rejoicing should be in. He said, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. That's a big statement that he made to those people going out to do that work that he called them to. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In chapter 1 in Philippians, he told them, rejoice. In chapter 2 of Philippians, he told them, rejoice. In chapter 3 of Philippians, he told them, rejoice. And now in chapter 4, he's saying it again. And goes on to say, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. When you have that type of joy, your graciousness, in other translations, your gentleness would be known to everyone because in your rejoicing, no matter what you're going through, you're going to look so different than the rest of the world. People are up and down at best. Sad one minute and happy the next. That should not be the case for the believer. It's not to say things don't happen. But ultimately, the sooner you recognize and have it deep in your heart, God has this under control. Whatever I'm going through is temporary at best, and he's using it for my good. He's doing a work so that I, I will be mature, that I learn to endure, that I would be complete, that I would be lacking nothing. You have to stand on that. These aren't just words on a page. This is how we live our lives. It should look different from people that don't have their hope in Christ. It says, don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What, what, is, what is worry? The Greek translated it um, anxious or, or careful. It is to be pulled in different directions. Our hope pulls us in one direction. Our fear pulls us in another direction, and we're pulled apart. He says, over and against nothing of anxiety and everything to be prayerful. So every part of our life is to be connected with prayer, even the smallest things in our lives. These anxieties invade your mind and you work to remove them often by like thought 
and by reasoning and, and trying to figure out, hey, what is the solution to this thing that's given me problems? And, and you bust your brain trying to do that, but the real thing that's going to remove it is faith. What's going to take away fear and anxiety and worry is trusting in God. It is believing he is who he says he is. We cannot help but to have cares in this world. We are going to have legitimate cares because every day in our lives things are happening. But we are not to be harassed by cares. You know when you're harassed by cares? When you think you have to figure out the solution yourself. You're harassed by cares when you're thinking, I have to bear this load. You don't bear that load alone. We have a father in heaven. People rarely die from hard work. But worry and anxiety, that could kill you. It doesn't only affect you emotionally and mentally and spiritually. It even messes you up physically with headaches and neck aches and back aches and ulcers and digestive problems. Worry, anxiety does these things. Worry and anxiety is no cure. Like you're not changing your situation by worrying or being anxious about it. It's actually corrosive. It, it, it messes you up. And often it is a shadow of our imagination and, and the real trouble, that, that doesn't even happen. I, I was overwhelmed with things when I was younger that never came to pass. Or if it came to pass, it was, even if it was bad and came to pass, the worry and anticipation for that thing happening was more torturous than what I actually experienced. It says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. The antidote is a secure mind, a mind that is guarded. There are three things that helps our minds to be secure. Right praying, right thinking, and right living. Right, right praying. He, he speaks here about prayers and supplications or petitioning and thanksgiving. Prayer in this sense, when it's written here, is adoration. It is acknowledging who God is. It is the recognition of his greatness. It is the recognition of his power, of his majesty, of his wisdom. That in itself should give us a great confidence that we're even able to petition God. And, and that leads to our petitioning, 
our requests being known to God. We're not speaking to anyone. We're speaking to our heavenly Father that is the king of the universe. And then we show our appreciation and our trust in him that before we even see anything that we're thanking him. And not thanking him in a way that he's going to do it exactly the way that we said and the way we willed it to be done. One, we're thanking him that we have the ability to come to him, which we only have that ability because of what Jesus has done which puts us in the position as his children to make our requests known to him. And know this, just because you don't see immediate action the way you want to see it, it does not mean God is not moving. God is moving in his way, in his time. Matter of fact, that time of us being able to come to him, which is a privilege really should do a work in our hearts. Like, hey, God, this is what I see. This is what I would like to happen. These are my desires. But you know, God, you're wiser. You see things that I don't see. You have a bigger picture in mind. You're doing things that I don't even understand. I'm petitioning for you, but have your way, God. And teach me to trust you with whatever way you are going to handle this situation. But don't believe it's not going to be handled. It's going to be handled. He's God. Right thinking. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Your mind must be focused on the truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So right praying and right thinking and then right living. You cannot separate outward actions and inward attitude. Sin always results in, unworry, in unrest, in worrying, and in anxiety. Always. So right living is a necessary condition for experience, the peace of God. You don't want to be anxious and worried about stuff? Live right. You want to act up and then be anxious and worried and then petition God, but you got to live right. You have to pray right. And think right. And do right. Then these things will go away. But you cannot even have peace with God. You can't have peace from God until you have peace with God. In other words, it starts with, do I know God? There are many that's living any way they want and don't know God, but are petitioning God for things. And it's like, you're an enemy of God. You, you don't know him, and you're praying for peace in all of these situations. No, the first thing that you need is to be restored to God. The first thing that you need is to be reconciled. The first thing that you need is to be saved. We, we can't go to God for anything 
as a sinner and an unbeliever other than save me, help me. I recognize what you've done. So, so it starts with peace with God. Then we can receive peace from God. Often, we also pray in a way where we're asking God to do something, but our actions are contrary to what we're asking him. What do I mean? We may say, God, help me in my finances. I have more bill than money at the end of the month. I need an increase in money. Meanwhile, the money that you have, you're not spending it properly. You're spending it on wants instead of needs. You're squandering things. You're not even giving a portion to the Lord, but you're saying, increase my finances. God, I'm praying to you to, to do a miraculous thing. Let me find a bag of money. Like, like, like the time, and, and I'm sure he was spending the money properly. Pastor Angelo was like, they were praying for finances that they needed, and somebody gave him a bag, and he was like, bless you, my child, thinking it was a bag of money, and it was a bag of garlic. Sometimes we're praying in a way where we're desiring something from God. But the biblical principle in those same areas, we are not being obedient. That's a problem. What, what do you expect? And, and you want peace and you want to be relieved of worry and anxiety? We got to live right. What, present, what prevents us from possessing this peace over anxious and worrying is actual practical atheism. What, what I mean by that is this. You're worrying and anxious about things and sometimes petitioning God at the same time, but you're really not believing God for it. Because if you're believing God for it, the worry and the anxiety is relieved. And look, there is such a thing that my head knows this. Cognitively, I know, no, God is who he says he is, but my heart and my feelings don't seem to line up with it. You keep telling yourselves the truths of God until your heart lines up with what your head already knows. That, that's what you do. You, 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 you guard your heart and mind from lies. You keep speaking truth that your head already knows until your heart comes into agreement. When it's speaking about this guarding of our hearts and minds. What we're talking about is guarding our mind. We're talking about our thoughts. When we're speaking of guarding our hearts, we're talking about our feelings. And the guard is Christ himself. What we can't do is leave the door open. What we can't do is crack the window for our 
peace to be robbed, for an invasion of our heart and our mind. The true expression of faith is going to be joy. The, the, one of the expressions of faith has to be joy. I believe you, God, regardless of what I see around me, so I will have joy. You can come up, worship team. The expression of faith is joy. Faith looks through problems and finds joy. Faith is laying hold of the promises of God. This peace that surpasses understanding, what it's saying here, it, it, it passes reasoning. Like you can't even understand it because it is not produced by your own reasoning nor about altered circumstance. It's not like when this goes away, I'll have peace. No, it's actually a divine grace of God, this peace that we're speaking of. Sometimes we don't have that peace because we're even concerned while we're petitioning God about how he's going to answer us. So, so, so we don't have peace in a situation. We're worried and we're anxious because we're saying, God, I'm telling you this, do it my way. Because if we truly believe that God is the one who knows all things, that he is our father, the creator of heaven and earth that is all wise and all strong. And because we are his children by adoption through the blood of Christ, so we have a right to go to him. Then what are we worrying about? God gives his children peace. He tells us, don't worry. He tells us not to be anxious. We, we must embrace that. Our prayer today is, God, some of these things we know cognitively, but we still have worry and fears, and doubts. Although time after time in the history of our own lives, we've seen you be faithful. And we still tend to think the next thing's going to get us. The next thing is not going to be accomplished. God's will will always be accomplished, brothers and sisters. Would you, would you stand and Allow me to pray for you. Father God, we, we thank you for this topic. We so desire your peace. And we recognize as believers, often we are looking to rejoice in the wrong things, even as believers. To have our peace come from our circumstances, from the things that we want.
for what we see and how we see them. As we approach you in prayer and petitioning with thanksgiving, help us not to be anxious, worried about anything, but in everything we would come to you, the biggest things and the smallest, Lord. That we would stand on your promises, Lord. We, we can have that joy. We can rejoice because we know that we have a Father in heaven who watches over us. That we have a brother in Jesus Christ who is praying for us. Because we have the Holy Spirit that is living in us, comforting and guiding us. Because we have your word to direct us, Lord. Because we have angels encamped about us, oh God. Because we have brothers and sisters in the church to support us. Why worry? Give us that joy that comes from faith, O oh God. Give us that peace as you guard our hearts and minds, O oh Lord. Help us, Lord, not to crack the window or open the door and relinquish in that security in our hearts and minds, that we would be stayed on you, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, and we pray for that one that desires peace, but they need to make it right with you, O oh God. Let them know, Lord, that you are there with open hands, nail-pierced hands, because how you died and suffered and rose from the grave and sit at the right hand of the Father on their behalf, and you beckon them to come, to repent, to receive your forgiveness, and that one's peace is made with you, that the God of peace will God their hearts and minds as well. Would you do that this day, Lord? We pray for repented hearts. For that person that doesn't know you. And for us that worry and get frightened and become anxious as if we're carrying this load. It's you, God. It's always been you. It'll always be you. So we can leave this place rejoicing, walking in a peace that is only supplied by you. The world can't give us this kind of peace. You alone, Lord, gives it. 
would we leave this place with a joy and a rejoicing, regardless of what's going on in our lives. Our names are written in heaven. All that we're going through, you're using to strengthen us, to grow us, to mature us, to complete us, to change us into the image of your Son. Thank you, O oh God. And we can surely be confident in this very thing. That this good work that you've started in your children, you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you, family. Let's walk in that peace and in that joy as we continue about what God has called us to do.